All's there. That's the wrong show. <laughs> And uh, here we go again. It's another episode of Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf. If you're not using twist face technology, then, uh, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, everyone else in your foursome is using it. So get it. Figure it out. Also, Adidas, some great uh, Adidas uh, soft goods. Summer's uh, lots of uh, time to go, so get some of that uh, Adidas stuff, the uh, polos, and of course the uh, amazing uh, shoes. The what, what are the names of the shoes? I don't have them right at my hand. Boost three sixty. Thank you, sir. There you go. That's soft goods. You mean like shirts and stuff? Uh, uh, yeah. You're like, a, you're like an industry guy. Soft goods, hard goods. Okay. This maybe. You dial back the aggression a little bit there. It's just it's just a word. <laughs> uh, that's the spiritual uh, mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Golf Academy and uh, a good friend of uh, all, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And uh, from the Humble and Fred Show, man, we're lucky to have Humble Howard here, uh, you know, hanging out doing a, uh, a program. Although I, I lo- it's funny, I work four days a week doing the show, and then on Fridays I get all excited because I get to talk golf with my boy Timmy. Hi, Tim. Good morning. Yeah, sorry if I came a little harsh on you. There. Not at all. Maybe uh, it's just Friday morning. I don't know. Yeah, maybe my last day. My last day before holidays. I'm really, really excited. Well, you seem excited, and I, uh, I, I didn't say this to you just before we started, but you still sound a little bit like. Uh, didn't you have like pleurisy a couple weeks ago, or tuberculosis, <laughs> or something? <laughs> exactly. I had bronchitis or pneumonia. And weird, uh, there's some bug going around like that. I, I discovered that at least two other guys I know have bronchitis. So I'm getting better. I'm sucking on my puffers. and. But I could hear stuff. you. When you got up to uh, go say goodbye to your lovely bride, I could just hear you. It's still in your chest a little bit. And that's like three weeks of yeah. suffering through this. It's not suffering. It's putting up with it. There's... There's people who have it much worse than me, you know, and just a little malady, a little a little summer thingy. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting much better. But thank you for asking. I, I show okay. so much you care, and I appreciate I it. I do care. So let's see. No suffering. Can't use that. Can't use soft goods so far. Didn't you take an improv class where you yes-anded anyway? I did. I did. Okay. Yes. So just a look at your notes. Listen, we're going to have Tim go to the phone because we're excited to have a guest this morning. Or whenever you download the show. And uh, this theme, the theme of today's program, uh, we'll talk about uh, a few other things. But today's theme is going to concentrate on club championships. And uh, we're lucky to have a uh, friend of the show, a golf buddy of mine, and somebody that's worked with Tim. uh, And who's won a a bunch of club championships. Paul Gortner's uh, hanging on. Paul, are you there? I'm here, yeah. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. And, Good morning. Uh, and I see that uh, you're away from your young child. I am away, yes. What a <laughs> feeling. What a feeling. Um, uh, now, your baby is uh, a month old? Uh, seven weeks. Seven weeks ago, you have a child, and uh, you've been out golfing a little bit. Has the baby impacted your game yet? I, not that I can see, because you've shot under par almost every time I see uh, what's good that you put you put up a score. Um, I would say that the baby has impacted every aspect of life, most notably mm-hmm. sleep. Um, so to say that it's had an impact, I would say that's a, a yes. <laughs> um, Tim, I uh, when I was in France uh, a while ago, I found a little, I guess, bib. There was a market, and a woman was embroidering bibs, so I got Paul's baby's name embroidered on a bib. And then yesterday, Paul, I received your lovely thank you gift, of which I couldn't read. Every Did you write that, or was that the baby? Um, that was actually the baby. We're working on her. <laughs> I tell you, Timmy, can you hear me? Because uh, I read this note from, I think it was Paul or, or Kim or the baby, but I was like, I was going to bring it to the course tomorrow to see if you could interpret it for me. Make sure you teach the baby cursive. 
You know, I really think it's a, a tragedy of our education system. The kids aren't learning cursive anymore. Yeah, babiesforcursive.com. Just take it's a lost that, art, okay? so we're starting it again. Um, well, I guess we'll just, uh, I mean, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about club championships in general and people. We, we've spoken about this the last couple of weeks about people getting ready for big tournaments, whether it's the club C's or, you know, a GAO event or just a one-day thing with your office. Uh, how many, let's just get some stats out there, Gortner. How many uh, club championships have you won? Uh, I have won eight club championships. Eight? Yeah, wow. seven at Glencairn and one at Calvin Woods. Amazing. Uh, Tim, how about you? <laughs> have, have you, have you uh, let's see. Uh, did you win eight? Uh, zero club championship. <laughs> well, eight's very impressive. Um, but we wanted to sort of get Paul on to talk a little bit about club C's. But, Tim, I think we also wanted to talk to Paul about a uh, career round. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, talk about impact on... Uh, baby has in your golf game. Uh, you, dear sir, shot a sparkling. What was it? Sixty-four. What was that last week? Yeah, two weeks ago. Sixty-four. Yeah, wow. Ago. And uh, that was a that's a career best, right? Uh, yeah, career best by one. It was interesting. So you and I kind of had a debrief on it. Uh, I guess it was uh, recently. And what was really interesting to me is that you went into that round, I think, with, with really no expectations. Can you, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are, you know, golf nerds of, you know, whether we got, we have listeners who are plus handicaps like yourself to, to high handicap players, but, you know, that's kind of what you might think would be a magical round. So shooting a 64, my gosh, you know, some people couldn't imagine doing it. But when you went into the round, did you have any expectations? Did you have, like, a plan? Were you, like, really trying to go low that day? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I I shot the round um, in a a men's night, um, which is, I'll say, typically a a pretty – it's still competitive, but a pretty relaxed environment. Um, And, you know, that night I happened to be playing with uh, a couple of the pros at at Glencairn at the course, and – Actually, a bit of a, a side story, just take a second, but we're actually playing with a, a gentleman who worked at, at Glencairn um, who was leaving to join the military. So, you know, prior to the round, it was more, you know, that was announced that, you know, he was leaving the course and joining the military and, you know, put that on top of being already in a bit of a, a relaxed environment. And quite frankly, it really, you know, how well I played golf that day really wasn't that very important at all. Um, and it really wasn't something that that I focused on, kind of going into going into the round. Um, I mean, the last few weeks or a month or so, I've been spending a little bit more time practicing and, and focusing on my game. But you know, going into a, a men's night where you typically have a couple adult beverages and a round of golf. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's a podcast, Paul. We know men drink beer, and sometimes women do too. There you go. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it really about celebrating, you know, this individual kind of commitment to his country and, and joining the military. Like, it, it truly really wasn't about playing good golf, and it really wasn't something I was consciously focused on kind of going into it. So it was, it was I would say, interesting in, in the perspective of, um, you know, really just going out there and having fun was kind of the, um, the feeling leading up to the round. So I... I uh... Paul and I have played a lot of golf uh, over the last five years, but particularly the last couple of years in tournaments and in out of, out of just fooling around. And, and full disclosure, when Paul and I play, it's really never about golf. It's more about who can say the stupidest thing to the other person. Having said that, though, Gortner, I've been with you when you've made, you know, on a night when we're goofing around, I've played with you when you made, didn't you and I play together, you made nine birdies? That's right, yeah. Um, years ago. A couple years ago, we played together. We, you made nine birdies, and, and it was all. And we were really being idiots that night. And at one point, I thought, well, maybe I should back off because Paul's making a bunch of birdies and could have a great score. So I've seen you make a lot of um, 
you know, under par scores. When did you realize the night of the 64 that maybe it was a little bit different? Was it the back nine, the last couple holes? Because I know on your card you birdied the last two. Did you not? That's right, yeah. I mean, I really didn't um, start paying attention to it until, I'll be honest, until we had kind of two holes left. I mean, I, I've been under par before. I kind of know kind of know what it feels like and know that it's easy to let your mind kind of move towards you know, oh, my God, I could shoot my best round ever or, you know, I'm playing really well um, or I might win something. Um, and honestly, not until the last two holes that I kind of went to the fact that, oh, like if I, you know, it was a thought that I had that if I buried these last two holes, I'm going to shoot my best round ever. Um, what was but, your best round, Paul, prior to this? Uh, 65. Okay. So one, uh, one, one worse than 64. Yes. Um, <laughs> just doing the math. No, because you're. I, I wish you. You work at Deloitte too, which is how you would know that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Many years of experience. Um, so you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I do remember having that thought. Like, hey, if I if I bury these last two holes, I'm going to shoot my best round ever. But you know, at that point, really, it, you kind of, you know, I had the thought, but it kind of came back to the day that I was having, and we were talking about, you know, this guy's going into basic training and he's going to be this is going to be his experience the next couple months or you know we're having such a great time tonight like I really didn't spend that much time focusing on it and you know I've played enough tournament golf to know that if I spend all my time just focusing on the fact that if I break two holes I'm going to show a best on ever then it's, it's probably not going to happen so you know I kind of got back into the mode of okay what what shot do I have to hit here and you know, how am I going to do that? Or what's, how do I make the best decision in going into the last two holes that I have? So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting round for sure. When you had the last putt and you knew that putt after you'd birdied the second last hole. So on the last hole, again, you've got a putt. I think uh, it wasn't long, but it was probably, was it a, like a 10 foot putt, eight foot putt, something like that? Yeah, it was about 15 feet. Okay, up so goal, a decent goal. putt. Yeah. So what are you thinking over that putt, knowing it was for 64? I'm thinking it's right to left, uphill, 15 feet, and put a good stroke on it. And that's it. And sure enough, it went in the hole, yeah. Wow. And uh, when we talked about this the other day, I think that you were saying that uh, the guys you were playing with were more excited than you were. Yeah, I would. You know, it's funny, one of the... Um, one of the guys, they were kind of, when I made the putt on the last hole, they were kind of jumping up and down, and one of them threw a club, and I kind of made it, and I was like, wow, that was, that was like almost not really kind of, it really hadn't sunk in yet that I'd, I'd actually done it, so right. it's almost like I needed a bit of time for it to actually sink in, but yeah, they were kind of more excited than, than I was, and to right. the fact that it actually happened. And what was interesting to me when you and I kind of did a, a when we did our debrief about it, is that you know? I asked you. I said when you drove out of the out of the parking lot and and started to drive home, you know, how different was the world to you? Was this like suddenly, you know, I had achieved you know the state of nirvana and my best score ever? Was the world suddenly a better place, uh, or was it just something you know you had a, just a, a really just great experience? Yeah, I mean, I would say. I, I had a really good good experience i mean the world nothing really in the world is going to change because i i played a good round of golf um if anything my thought of excuse me my thought on the drive out was you know wondering how many hours of sleep i would get that night <laughs> with the new baby <laughs> exactly. so yeah, it yeah. was uh yeah you know i mean it's obviously an extremely cool experience uh for me and, and playing golf for a long time but it's it's interesting how not really focusing too much on playing a golf kind of led to actually playing a golf. So, well, that, that's what I think the the average person who has trouble breaking ninety, yeah. they would think that oh my god, you had to be super focused and thinking on every shot about where the club was, and you know you had to have the. But in actual fact, when you add it all up, it's like you know having seen you make half the birdies on a golf course, which you've done before. Um, Making you what was that night? It was eight birdies and no bogeys, right? Uh, yeah, eight birdies, no bogeys. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about not how easy it was, but how relatively easy it was? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a couple of people after the round or even that night, you know, 
were like, oh my God, like, like how did you do that? Or what did you do differently? Or, you know, did you do something, like, did you make a hole-in-one or did you make a couple of eagles? Or, I mean, I'm like, no, I really didn't do anything. You know, I would describe it as, you know, I really didn't do anything that I wasn't capable of. You know, if I think of all the shots that I, that I hit, you know, yes, I hit a few par fives and two and, and you know, had relatively, um, you know, easy two putts for birdie, but, you know, if we really break down some of those holes, like, you know, I had a four iron for 200 yards. Am I capable of hitting a four iron on the green for 200 yards? Yes. And I just happened to do it that day and, and, you know, made two putts and then that was it. So, you know, no eagles, no holes in one, just really just hitting greens and, um, you know, happened to making, making a bunch of putts that night. Yeah. So I, I'm sure that there might be some of our listeners who'd be going like, well, you know, the guy's won eight club C's. Uh, you know, he's obviously a really fine player. Um, they know you're a plus handicap. So they would say, well, it's easy for someone like that to not think about their swing or to be trying. But I think that what really the bigger takeaway here is that if you don't try, I think whatever your level you play at, you can play so much better than rather being fixated on where I'm at relative to par, um, you know, am I swinging correctly like Howard was talking about. So I really think that the the nice message out of this is that, boy, if you just get out there and have, you know, kind of like an intention to have a good time and, you know, be with your partners, enjoy the day, you give yourself such a better chance of, of actually playing well than when you're trying to play well and score. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would completely agree with that. And, you know, I've had the benefit of playing golf for a bit of a while. And, you know, like I said, being under par before, knowing that, knowing that kind of focusing on, and I mean, I still struggle with this as well, but focusing on the outcome of the result is not, not really going to help what you're trying to accomplish. But, even I think for the person who might be, you know, under par for the first time or, you know, getting on, getting close to shooting a career round, like, you know, just knowing that, you know, hopefully you're going to be playing this game for, for a long, long time and you're, you're going to be back in that position again. So um, almost trying to, to give, give yourself a chance and, and, you know, let yourself not kind of focus on the result and then think more about the process and the shots you have to hit coming up or probably the, the best way to go about it, I would think. The best thing, well, I, I got a, uh, I'm sure you sent this to a few people. I don't know where I was uh, that week, but I, I, I got a text from Paul with a, a screen cap of his scorecard. And I was very thrilled, and I said, uh, what was, I, I can't remember, I think I sent back, uh, yeah, 64 is impressive, not as impressive as having a kid. <laughs> but my favorite thing about all of this is that because of Paul's handicap, which I think is plus one or plus two. Uh, yeah, plus so the best thing is, Tim, and you Club Link members and, and other golfers will love this. Paul didn't win men's night. <laughs> he didn't. He shoot 64 and came in third. <laughs> that is the I didn't best. Win gross, though. Gross. Well, we don't have it. We we only thing we have in men's night for gross is a bunch of us throw a bunch of the low handicap guys throw in some money. But for the actual men's night, Paul finished third. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it's it. The best. My, my best third place finish ever. Mm. Yeah. I know. The net, the, the net world is so so conspires against the low handicap players. Um, so oh, the, the injustice of it all. Oh, whoa. Now I know Gortner has. Uh, well, it is a bit of a drag because you know you, you you do you have your career night on men's night, and you don't even get a box of balls. Anyway, uh, we're gonna let uh, Gordner's got to go because he's practicing. Uh, before are you going to work today? Or are you, oh, you know, that's right. You're not working. You're just getting. You're ditching the kid for a couple hours. You got it. That's right. My job. My job revolved around a seven week old girl. That's and you know what? Best job in the world. So, um, just quickly before we let you go, and Tim and I focus on uh, some uh, some other junk for uh, 40, 45 minutes. What what. Uh, what, what about getting ready for the weekend? A lot of guys listening are getting ready for their club championships. Um, what can you tell people? What's the takeaway, you know, besides what you said about shooting a low round, about not focusing on the golf sometimes is the best way to have good golf happen? What about playing tournament golf? For a lot of people, this might be their first tournament of the year. Yeah, I would say it's... Um 
you know, something that, talk, that is talked about in, in the golf community a little bit is, is preparation. And I think you've, people have probably heard Jack Nicholas talk about it. Like, you know, he said he, he wasn't necessarily the best player. He was, he was just the best prepared player out there. Um, and I would almost describe it as, you know, think about a, a marathon runner getting ready to run a marathon. Like, they're, they're not just going to wake up the day before and be like, okay, tomorrow I'm running a marathon. They're, they're getting ready for months before. Um, and I would say for anybody, like, work on your preparation. Um, you know, getting in even half an hour of practice, you know, a month before and kind of building up to, um, to your club championship or any other tournament is, is as what I would say is what's worked for me in, in the past. And, you know, don't, don't underestimate the, the power of good preparation, I would say. Well, and also taking a long view as well. I mean, you and I play a lot of tournaments in a year, and the club championship is important because it's at your club, but it is only one of a, a bunch of tournaments, and even people listening. Hopefully it's not the only time you play in a tournament, and it won't be the only club championship you play. So, uh, well, listen, my friend, uh, Tim, any final thoughts for Mr. Gortner and his third place finish on men's night? <laughs> <laughs> well, better luck in your club C. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. appreciate that. Well, okay, well, listen, let's not get carried away. Last year you finished uh, third behind uh, the eventual winner. And, and who else? Who, who finished ahead of you? I can't remember. Neither can I. I think he was, uh, he was some old guy. I don't oh, know. some old guy. Yeah. Yeah. Was his name think, was his name Howard Glassman? Did he finish it? Might have been, yeah. Actually, yeah, now that I think of it, it might have been. Well, I and the, well, here's the weird thing: I finished ahead of Paul last year, and two years ago, I caddied for Paul. Sure, <laughs> I caddied for Paul when you won. See, look at the progression here. Like, exactly. To, to second place. Exactly. Well, if there is a circle of life, maybe if uh, something uh, you know chaotic happens, maybe you'll be caddying for me on the last day. Maybe one day I will. All right, pal. Wonderful. Uh, good luck this weekend. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds great. Thanks, Paul. Take care, gentlemen. Bye. Okay, now Tim's going to hang up his phone, which was awesome. And in a second, we're going to hear Tim on Skype. Watch this. There he is. And he's putting his I'm head back. There he is. I'm back on Skype. That's cool, man. Yeah. Love the technology. I love your that high mind that you have that thought of this. The, the technological just juggle that just happened it's 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 amazing it's a testament to you as a human being the smartness the experience everything thank you um well. <laughs> when i it's funny because I, I it made me laugh because the way the the way a men's night works is sort of you know it's all handicaps and it's tougher for the lower handicaps in fact in the five years i've been there uh i've won it twice but the the last time i won men's night i hadn't i don't play very many of them anymore and i wasn't playing very well on men's night and my men's night handicap was way higher than my gao handicap so i shot 71 a month ago and cleaned up but it was also the weird thing it was also the first night where a bunch of there's about 10 or 15 of us that have <clears throat> lower handicaps and we all put in ten dollars for the first time because we wanted to have a gross game and i beat gortner that night and i beat the club champion that night and I also won the, because of the net score effect of having a four or five men's night handicap, I also won men's night, which was hilarious. Um, anyway, sir, what do you think the of that? The magic of the net world. But it's just really interesting how I loved what you were saying about, uh, it was either you or, or Paul were saying that, you know, if you've got a, a really good round going, or it's it's just one tournament, and it's, it doesn't define you. You right. can catch lightning in a bottle in, in some way. Some things things just come together. You know, the ball hits a mound instead of you know bouncing left into the hay, it bounces into the fairway. You know, it it, it catches a you know hit your putt hits a bug or something and goes in. Just stuff happens in this game, and I think if we can just kind of roll with it and not really know that and not really see it as a defining moment or anything. And it's just a really another round of golf. Why do you think better... that, why do you think that's so hard for us golfers to not see golf? I mean, I'm the worst of it all, but I mean, how is it we, we find it troubling or so much trouble to not see all these things as defining moments? I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of uh, the way our culture romanticizes achievement. You know, we define ourselves by income, uh, titles, 
uh, whether that be in the in the business world or you know how many club C's you've won or something. So when someone hears that Paul Gortner's won eight club C's, like wow, that guy's obviously achieved something. So so I kind of think that that's the lens that as individuals we look at ourselves. How do I measure up? How do I compare? And I also think that our culture romanticizes that type of stuff through, you know, you just think of all the the most cliched sports movies you've seen. You know, someone hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth and the fireworks and the symphony and slow-mo. So, <laughs> Sorry, that, so it, that moment in the natural when the ball hits the uh, light stand is still one of my favorite sports moments, uh, sports movie moments of all time. Exactly. So it's quite natural that we're going to get caught. You know, it's easy to get caught up in that. But I really think that the players that that do the best in that, um, they exude that attitude like that we heard from Paul. So he shoots a 64 and he drives out of the parking lot, you know, turns on to Highway 25 there. And is he thinking, wow, I'm something else. Uh, I've, I, you know, I've achieved something I've never done before. No, he's thinking about how much sleep he's going to get with his seven-week-old baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that the the best players have a this ability to be grounded. I mean, again, Jack Nicholas, he was so dedicated to being, um, you know, a good dad and being around his kids a lot. And I'm just, I know I'm going on a bit here, but um, Bruce Litsky. Bruce Litsky uh, won, I think, 18 PGA Tour events. He had what was felt to be kind of this over-the-top fade swing. Bruce Litsky, I think, was had this amazing attitude. He'd win. It didn't define him. The most important things to him were coaching his kids in baseball and working on his cars and fishing. So he just, he didn't attach to that stuff. And I, I just think that we can learn from from. Um, from those kinds of folks not to identify it's just it's another tournament yeah it's sad that bruce liskey passed away but i was reminded because i used to like watching him play uh when he was on the tour and, and, and people used to always talk about his left to right movement and when i when i would listen to them say oh you know he plays this loopy like what did he what didn't he call him leaky was his leaky nickname? well yeah because of his fade right right because of the fade no <laughs> no because he leaked yes. But I, I used to see that almost as a, they would make it sound like it was a, it was a negative thing. But if you think about it, um, some of the best players, Nicholas, Trevino, Hogan, you know, a guy like Litsky, some of the best players I played with personally, uh, Gortner, uh, a guy named uh, Billy, uh, I can't remember, he's won the club championship at the National like eight times as well. Um, God dang it. Um, anyway, they all hit left to right shots. Yeah, and uh, there's something about the controlled fade. DJ hits it. Tiger's trying yeah. to hit it all the time now. That uh, good players gravitate toward it because of the word that I love. This is my 2018 mental word: reliability. There's a reliability to hitting it left to right for some reason for right-handed players that uh, is is great under pressure, which I want to talk a little bit about. Um, right. Because as as much as it would be great to have the attitude of Gortner that it doesn't matter, but it's it's to the people listening, it will matter more <laughs> this weekend. Maybe not define them, but it will matter more. And under the matter more pressure of golf, that left to right shot can be kind of a saving grace. Because I play with Paul, and as much as I would have loved to seen him shoot sixty four, I've also seen Paul shoot you know a, a lot higher. And he's very much the same. Like the night he made nine birdies, you know, you wouldn't have known it if you hadn't been in the group because he was no different after birdie six than he was after birdie nine. When he made the ninth birdie, I said, you know, that's nine birdies. He goes, oh, no, I know. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, I know. Well, I think that's an interesting – we can use the – what you're saying about reliability as a nice segue into, you know, what? how do you prepare for a club C – as Paul was talking about, and you know what? What could you? What sh- should you focus on in your preparation? And one of those things would be like to leave your swing alone. Whatever it is by now, going into your club C, whether your club C is this weekend or even September, your swing is your swing. And the th- and to use Bruce Liskey as an example, he had this 
he did not have the model swing. He came over the top a little, little bit. It was a bit of a pull, if you will, but he could rely on that fade as sure as the sun's going to come up every day. So he didn't have to go and practice and, and work. He was never working towards um, you know, improving his game, coming to another level. I was fortunate enough to interview him, and he said that, the, that he'd watched so many players try to fix their swings and working on it, and they just – this is my phrase, is they just got in their own way. So when you're getting ready for tournaments, it's like, just okay, your swing is your swing. Let it be. And just then you can do other things in terms of just to get better in your preparation. But now it's time to move to trust mode and target and taking care of routine and all those things are going to pay far more dividends than, you know, the two days before the club scene. You're still trying to get it in the slot or work on your swing plane. Well, uh, yeah, you know, you're. When Paul was talking about enjoying the night, being uh, invested in the story of the guy that was um, going into the military, you know, men's night is kind of competitive, but not. Guys are drinking beer, and it's kind of, you know, I I have uh, struggled a little bit on men's night because I can't make the the. It's hard for me to play hybrid golf, meaning, yeah. I, although. You know, I've had a couple of good rounds, but mostly I find men's night a time to kind of practice a little bit while playing a, a, a tournament-style round. Because when we played men's night together, you know, I was hitting the ball. Amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was hitting it great, and I was struggling a little bit on the greens. And so I looked at it like, okay, well, what can I learn from this? And, you know, I'm working on my putting with Tim a little bit at the end of the round, and I find those nights a little bit difficult because I'm not sure if I should be in tournament mode or if I should be in just play around mode. And the night you and I played, because I was so excited about playing with you, I left my swing alone and I just roasted everything. Absolutely, yeah. But that's, that's yeah. It's a it's a hard now, and, and in, in a strange way, maybe those are the that's the way we should look at all the tournament rounds. It's just another round of golf. That won't matter anymore. Paul's sixty-four, or the you know the horrible round that you know you might shoot. All of them are the same weight to the average person. They don't care. I hear that all the time. Uh, you know, in the run-up to you know, like when the Golf Channel goes you know crazy, you know, live from the Open or the Masters, and the, you know it's Monday, and they're saying to uh, Tiger or Phil or whomever, uh, you know, what are you doing to prepare for this tournament? And they went. It's another tournament. Yes, it's a major. And yes, they want to win it. But inside, they're already just trying to approach it as as another round of golf. And really, that's all you can do. And I hear that from, from all the top players in whatever sport it is. If you're going into Game 7 in a Stanley Cup, it's another hockey game. You just, you know, you just try and do your best on your shift the same way, you know, over a shot in your club C, whether it's on the first hole of the 18th. You just, it's one shot at a time. Just be your best, let it go, and whatever happens, happens. You know, sometimes I think we overlook Jack Nicholas. You know, part of it is an era thing. You know, you and I were around when Nicholas, you know, obviously uh, was the dominant player in the sport, but. Yes, we're that old, yes. Well, yeah. And, uh, and, but I think in recent times, we, we've sort of, I think of the golf world has sort of forgotten a little bit about how brilliantly. Jack Nicholas approached tournament golf, and as you said, because his priorities weren't just golf. But Nicholas said something. I someone had quoted this to me. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show, but he said something like, "Every round of golf has some good moments, some bad moments, and some average moments. You just have to when you're in when you're in those moments, just to know that that the other is also part of a round of golf. So let's say you start your club championship." And you have a couple of bad holes to start with. <clears throat> you have to know that that's just, you've just got, I know people say this, but you sort of have gotten that out of the way. And as long as you can look at it like that's part of every round of golf, you know that the other part, the good and the average, is also on the way as well. Yeah, I think things average the average average out. Everything's balances right. out. I, I remember uh, Glenn Sather 
coach of the Oilers in their heyday when That's they won right. four champ four championships. He said the people would talk about you know the team of dynasty, all that type of stuff. He never bought into that at all. He said you know sometimes the puck hits the post and the the post is round and it catches it, it goes in. Other times it's like a millimeter to the right, you know, and it goes into the corner. You know that's the difference between winning an OT and you know it goes into you know overtime period number two. It it's there's no grand meaning in in any of this. That's right. It's, it's just we're going out and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Somebody no, on a, no, we've had no the defining moment. We've yeah. had this conversation where uh, I can't remember maybe in year two of Swing Thoughts where the quote was no. No shot in any round of golf is more important than any other shot. And that's why I asked Paul about, so you're, you get through the second birdie, second last hole, you birdie it. Now you're over the putt for your best score ever. What were you thinking? And without hesitation, he said, right to left, uphill. That's what I was thinking. And really what he's saying is it's just a putt. Right. Um, he's also got, but he's also got experience at a high level. So he's been in moments like that. The guy's won. Uh, he played uh, university golf at a high level. Yep. Uh, competed in a ton of uh, really big junior tournaments. So the guy's, you know, he's been in the heat. I mean, and that's what we were talking about when Molinari won. That I think the advantage he had over Tiger in the Open Championship is that Molinari's been playing top level golf all year. This was Tiger's first time in the lead you know, of a major in ten years. So if you're used to it. You can focus more on on process, the things that you need to do to get done, as opposed to what does this all mean. So Paul does have an advantage in terms of being in the pressure cooker more For sure. than others. Yeah. Yes, he does. But what you can take away from it is that what you just said is great. When you said, as opposed to questioning, what, when you ask what does this all mean, what you're really saying is this has meaning beyond just this five-footer for my best score ever. You know, I, I uh, love hearing, you know, we should do a feature on that where we have, uh, if any of our swing thought, you know, people want to tell us, I think it would be a fun thing in the fall to talk about maybe when we look back at the summer, but have a, a panel discussion about your best round ever because I think people would would enjoy hearing, because when, when somebody tells me they broke 80 for the first time, I immediately, I will make a bet that it's not 79. That it's more like 76 or 77 right. because when you break through, it's often way past your you know, perceived barrier. And all of a sudden, you find yourself parring the last hole for four shots lower than you've ever shot before. And, and I think a lot of it is because you maybe you didn't know or it, it, you just burst through it. But I, I love when people tell me stories about the first time they broke 90 and what they were thinking the last couple holes and especially what their friends in the group were thinking. Exactly, exactly. That's why I asked him. So he played with, uh, Paul's played with James Boyce, uh, Mike Grierson, and that, that other fellow. And so I said to Paul, I said, what was the thing you remembered the most? Was it the fact you saw 64 or those guys who went apeshit? And it was the fact that they were jumping around. And he said that James threw a club and oh, yeah. jumped into his arms. And like, that's the fun. You know, the number on the scorecard is absolutely great, but Paul said what he remembered the most was James just losing his stuff over it. That's the fun of golf yeah. that you can have with that. Um, you know, I've won a club championship, too. I've actually won t two of them. Wow. Yes, at the Nash, no less. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, it's like you woke up 45 minutes later and went, oh, yeah, you've won a couple, too. Um Here's the thing I remember about winning the club championship the first time. I remember thinking, because I had really worked hard to become a tournament player. I, it didn't come naturally to me. I didn't have Paul's pedigree. I didn't play junior golf. I did play junior golf competitively, but not at the level he did. And then I come back to golf in my 30s, and I, I read all these books, and I started getting into the mental side. And I've told the story of, like, the first four years of playing the Nationals uh, Club Championship. The first two years, <laughs> I only played nine holes. So from, from going from not playing nine holes to, you know, not making the cut to making the cut to winning it, what I remember most on the way home is I thought two things. Uh, it was a lot easier than I had imagined it would be. 
Because like Nicholas, all I did on the final day of our four-day club championship is I just, I played very well, but I just outlasted the guys. They just all played poorly. Right. I mean, I, I played a brilliant round of golf at the National to win it, but I also, a bunch of good players just didn't play well that day. I kind of outlasted them. And the second thing I remember is I got home, and I had like a, a four-year-old, and my wife was, I guess she might have been pregnant with our second kid, and no one was home. <laughs> I remember ah. I remember being there all by myself like, where's my celebration? Where's the ticker tape parade? Where's the balloons falling from the ceiling? And, you know, I remember I think I had a beer and a nap, and that was it. And I remember saying to my, you know, my wife is excited for me because yeah. she knew how, lo- how much I had worked for it. But really, you know, not the, it was not that big a deal to too many other people. Exactly. I love that. And, you know, it's funny. This is a bit of a stretch, but I was listening to um, a Lou Reed album uh, this week, uh, New Sensations, and uh, it's from 1980s, and it's got a song on it called What Becomes a Legend Most? And it's about, largely it's about sort of like this diva who's on tour, whatever, 50, 50 nights in 50 cities or something like that. And so she goes at the end of every show, just gets lavished in applause, and you're the greatest. But there she is in her hotel room by herself watching a talk show. You yep. know? And and so when we talk about what it all means, it's it's just it doesn't mean actually a hell of a lot. It, yes, there's we you know people who get into playing golf uh, can, are, are usually pretty competitive, and they and they tend to be perfectionists, and so they're working towards things. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter a lot. I you know I remember. Uh, a, a guy I played a lot of golf with at Blue Springs, Mike Alderman, he won his club C a couple times. And so, you know, finishes up and there's the trophy and the grip and grin picture and all that. And then you're just sitting having a beer and how are the kids? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the, the weird thing is if you have a great round, no one really cares because they mostly care about themselves. And if you have a really bad round, no one cares because they're only thinking about their round. Oh, yeah, because if you start telling about the double you have no on 16, they're thinking like, oh, yeah, you think you got it bad. Listen to this. Well, and that's one of the things we talked about recently about, you know, don't write your story. One of the things that happens to golfers is we start off and we play the first few holes and then something happens and we and we start we start to clipboard our exactly. story. We go, oh, on the fourth hole, I hit that thing and then it went off the rock and then it right been a, so that's part of our story. And we actually imagine ourselves oh, absolutely. telling somebody after the round, well, the reason I shot 70 and whatever is because of that fourth hole. No one gives a shit. What happened on the fourth hole? So I would say, uh, race your clipboard because no, you're not, here's the funny thing, you're not going to tell that story to anyone. It's only existing um, in your little ego uh, sanctuary to make to start to build the story of what happened in your round. That's right. However, people are, I mean, people are so prone to being invested in their story. And their story could be, uh, I'm a choker. I can't close. I always get nervous, you know, or all the way down to, you know, I can't trust anyone. No one loves me. Um, <laughs> it's it's our stories, and it's all just bullshit. We're just making this shit up, you know, whatever it's based on. You know, your dad yelled at you in a bad chess move, or your phys ed coach, uh, teacher shamed you about something. We all just make up these stories, and so they just kind of follow us around, and we live according to this script that we wrote when we were 4, 8, or 12, and it, it's nonsensical, but self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, um, my dad and I were going to the National in uh, 1998, and I was driving. I'd already won, uh, I'd won the club championship. By that time, I'd played in a couple Ontario amateurs at 37. I was playing pretty good. I finished in the top 30 or 40, 40 I think, in the uh, 97 amateur. I'd played in the Canadian amateur. And I was driving my father to the National. He came to visit me, and I said to him, you know, if I played, and at that time I was a scratch or a one handicap as well, and I said, you know, Dad, if I played at any other golf course but the one we're about to play, you know, I'd shoot in the 60s a bunch of times. You know, if I played at a normal golf course where the slope wasn't 156, 
you know, where shooting 75 makes you a scratch. The course rating at the time from the tees I played was 75 point something. So I'm having this conversation with my dad, and uh, we play with a couple other fellows, and with four holes to go, three holes to go, I was uh, three under par. In fact, I bogeyed 15. I was four under, bogeyed 15. Here, <laughs> quickly, if, I, if you'll allow me, I said on the 15th tee, this is as far as I've ever come on, at, uh, this is the farthest I've ever been at the National without making a bogey. Bogeyed it. Of course. Of course. And then the last three holes, at the time 18, was a par five. No one spoke to me for 16, 17, and then on 18, I birdied 18 to shoot 68. And it was like all of a sudden time, just like Paul described, like everyone in my group, my dad was a pretty stoic guy, didn't show a lot of emotion, but even he was excited. And I was like, I was all of a sudden aware that no one had spoke to me in 40 minutes. And I sort of, my reaction to them was, where were you guys? They said it was like watching a no-hitter. Exactly, or a goalie with a shutout. Right. And at the National, it's, it was so rare. I had done this twice now. This was the first time. It was so rare um, for an amateur to break 70 that the pros, Adam Brown and a couple of the guys, took my scorecard. And at the Champions Dinner, they called me up and they had bronzed it. Cool. With my and they took and it had a little space for your golf ball. But the best part about it, I lost the ball years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me, I still have the plaque. But the best part is it was signed by everybody, including my dad. Ah, uh, lovely, lovely. But that's, that's that's a great story. Love it. But the point being, like I was there, focused with my father. I was having a nice time, and then all of a sudden, it just happened that I was under par late in the round. And rather than what had happened to me in other times I'd been under pars, uh, you know, you sort of inevitably gag it up a little bit and shoot, you know, 72 or 71. It just didn't. I just finished the last couple holes, par, par, birdie. And next thing I know, I'm like, wow, that was, in fact, it was so easy. You just wonder why you can't do it every day. But it goes to what you said a minute ago. Sometimes the ball bounces off the out-of-bounds post and keeps it inbounds. It's just that simple. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's and it's applicable to whether you are trying to break 110, 190, whatever. It's um, if we make golf more than just having a good time and with friends and, and then then it gets more difficult. I remember uh, one of the best podcasts we did was with Ken Tarling uh, way right. back in the, in the early days. And I remember him saying that he made the transition into becoming a player, a guy who compete at a high level when he really stopped caring and counting so much. I mean, he had a number of times in which he was in the uh, the Q school for the PGA Tour in top five position, go out and shoot 80 the next day because he was thinking about how much it meant and all of that as opposed to just going out and being able to play. And it takes mental discipline. You know, where there's no there's no getting around that. It's being self-aware of like what am I paying attention to right now? So in terms of like any advice I could give anyone in preparing for a club C is is just work on your awareness. Is like what's your body doing? What are you thinking about? Um, are you focused on this shot or are you thinking about uh, boy, if I par in, maybe I got a chance to win my B flight. Bring your, uh, just be aware of what's going on, and then you can respond the way you want. So if you're on the first tee and you're feeling like, wow, I, I'm really tense, if you're aware of that, then you can adjust. And it's, we said many times before, awareness is curative. So if you're aware you're tense, aware of what you're thinking, then you can kind of bring it and calm it down. And of course, you can do that with, with breathing as well. So, you know, I kind of jammed a bunch of tip stuff in there. No, that was good. All, all of that applies, you know, and if I can offer anything, and, and you know, I don't know, I'm playing tomorrow, and uh, it's been a, uh, you know, it's been a decent tournament season. I've had some good results, and, um, you know, I've got some good tournaments ahead of me, and uh, I am 58 years old, and Paul's 31, and the guy that beat me last year in the club championship is 42, and... Pardon me. There's a lot of really good players. And I, uh, a couple days ago, 
I sent a note to my uh, swing coach, you know, my tournament coach buddy, Paul Henrik. I said, I don't want to play this weekend. I'm just playing horribly now. And he sort of laughed and said, uh, aren't you the same guy that finished second in this tournament and whatever in that yeah, tournament? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm upset now. And then I so, laughed and I said to myself, you know, Howard, it's just one more round of tournament golf. It's not going to define my year and my, and my progress and, you know, and my swing and all that stuff. It's just, I would say that, that would be my takeaway for you kids is just, you know, Tim, is it O'Connor? Tim O'Connor said something to me three summers ago. He said, you know, O'Connor said basically almost verbatim to what Paul said, which is if you can just enjoy the people you're playing with, focus a little bit more outwardly as opposed to, you know, worrying about, you know, where were my, where, what, what kind of impact position did I just, you know, all that stuff. It it becomes the golf becomes an adjunct to what you're doing, which is being outside, walking around for four and a half hours, hopefully having some fun. And for some reason, that produces a state where you can actually play better if that's your if that's your thing. Yeah, you free yourself up. You're expansive when you're kind of outside yourself you respond to the world better and you're kind of in the world and it's just more freeing as opposed to, you know, how am I doing? Yeah, how you am know, I doing? Oh, you know, where am I in relation to par and oh, is the swing working today? It's more of uh, the focus is, I think it's more beneficial is what am I doing as opposed to how? Did you notice what Gordner said about his round two? And this is the other thing I would remind you swing thought folks. Remember Paul said he kept thinking, okay, what's, What's the shot here? Exactly. And, and thinking about what is the shot here on every shot, even the one after you scull it into the trap or the one after you've hit a bad shot. It's easy to concentrate on birdie putts. And I will tell you from experience, concentrating on putts for triple bogey has just the same amount of meaning. And I'll tell exactly. you, if you sink the putt for triple bogey, you will feel very good. Uh, yes, you will if you make the putt for birdie, but the point is they're both the same, but we bring a different mindset to them. One is, you know, sort of hopeful, and the other one is resignation sometimes. But, you know, I've learned through this podcast and from my own experience that if you can bring a hopeful optimism, if you will, to the triple bogey putt, you'll sink them sometimes. And remember, six is better than seven. Wise words. And isn't that get back to the theme that you were uh, drumming a few years ago? Is like wear your big boy pants. Well, and and maybe that's what we would say to somebody if you're playing in your club. And I would say this to myself: you've got to put your big boy pants on, and you've got to accept, and you've got to understand that everyone else is going to be feeling. That's the other thing in tournament golf, and I'm sure you tell this to your players. Everyone else is feeling the same as you. Everybody feels nerves, so Gordner's going to have some moments. You know, we're all going to have some moments of crisis, crisis, of golf crisis. Exactly. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable. So compare, that to, compare that to what really goes on in the world, you know, exa exactly. Uh, gosh, Tiger talked about being nervous in the Open Championship. He's Tiger freaking Woods, and he gets nervous. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I... I also look at club C's and things like that because, you know, the majority of people don't play in, in a lot of tournaments. Uh, you know, so it's an exceptional opportunity. It's a special day. Usually the club has maybe some, some banners out. You know, we've got the scoreboard outside. I mean, it's a different deal. So everything's heightened. So I think it's just a great opportunity to enjoy that experience and savor it. And whether you're, you know, they've got a 10 up on the first tee and there's a committee of guys there. It's fun. I mean, that's, that's, you can really just enjoy that. But the last piece around that was just be, see what you can learn about yourself. I play in the championship flight. Uh, I don't really have a have uh, a chance of winning at all the champ i yeah, i would have a better shot if i was in the a flight but i know that when i play in the champ flight um everything's heightened just a little bit and i can just learn more and i always have this uh after every club c i wrote 
I write this blog, you know, what I learned in this club C and it's, I always find it's amazing um, to look through and just look at the interesting things that I've kind of picked up, whether about myself or club C golf in particular, or what I see in other players. You know, it's funny you mentioned about, excuse me, um, the, um, the banners and things. When I came back to tournament golf three summers ago, and I played in the Mid-Am for the first time. It was the first GAO event I'd played in 13 years. And as I drove into the golf course, it was Lambton. But as, as I drove in the day of the practice round, it caught me completely unaware. How many more minutes do you have left? A couple. Okay. Like five? Five? Okay. So as I drove in and I saw all these banners and roped off areas and tents and all these golfers that I used to play against as a kid. And, you know, the first tee's got the tent, as you say. And there's a guy, there's all these people. And I was like, it was too much. Yeah, it really was. It, yeah. it was like, what a move. I, I, I almost had this immediate sense of not really, I don't really belong here. And I shot 92, 82 and missed the cut. But just a year later, having gotten used to it again, I was able to, bring my anxiety around it down to a workable level and now a couple of years later as I drove into the you know the senior am which I didn't get in as we know but as even I drove in I'm like oh yeah there's the banners there's the pictures of past champions there's some of the best you know and and it's just it's you get used to it and that's what I want to leave you with is those guys that play tournament golf on the PGA tour yes they're the best on the planet but they do it every week when Badley, Aaron Badley misses the cut on Friday, he knows that the next stop is just a few days away. And they're used to that pressure a lot more than we are. And yet, you know, some of them who haven't, like uh, this guy, uh, Chad Campbell, hasn't won. He won four times on the PGA Tour. Hasn't won in 11 years. And he still goes there and plays 25 times a year. And he's gone. He's, golf is, how do you do that? Well, that's what golf is. You won four times, but he's been going at trying 11 years times 25 tournaments without a win again. Yeah, think about what that takes, that perspective. I mean, yes, they make, a good, they make a good living for sure. But still, you know, money only goes so far in terms of like your your ability to get up every day. Think about it. Most of these guys, Ralph Bauer coaches Adam Hadwin and Adam Svensson. He says, think about it. The majority of your your uh, your your life, you live in a three hundred square foot house, basically a Ramada Inn. That's your life, and so you miss the cut, the Canadian Open. Maybe you go home for a couple of days, and then whammo, back to Memphis or Duluth or whatever, and you're back in the three hundred square foot house. That's right. And you better you better have a great perspective on it because if you're looking for um, like I say, like the uh, the confetti and the balloons and all that, uh, it it may happen every once in a while and savor it. It's it's a joy, everything. But overall, it's just every day the practice, if you will, of just every day. How how am I doing? Just pushing a little bit for what am I learning about myself and. Well, I love so what you that's said. The perspe- that's the perspective piece. Well, and, and and that's what I thought of when I when I heard this stat from about Chad Campbell last night. I thought, wow, you know, what does it take to year after year, you don't win. You basically think about this. We spend most time, most of our tournament golf life, and a lot of our golf, not playing our best. So you'd better enjoy that part. Because that is what mostly golf is. You don't shoot 64 or 68. You don't win very often. So as we can leave it by saying, if you don't enjoy the process, then you're not going to enjoy this very much. Uh, It's a a tough game that way because people are so perfectionists in many ways that if you just kind of say, what can I learn from this? How much fun can I have? All that. Then golf is... uh, a lot more fun and the side bonus is that you tend to play better which is kind of odd it's the ironic piece around it Stephen uh, Gajowski uh, sent us a note saying uh, Swing Thoughts has uh, taken strokes off my round and I hope you and Tim will talk about the proper mental attitude going into my club championship this weekend and Stephen I hope that we've uh, 
at least on some of that. Uh, Mr. O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Make sure you subscribe to uh, Tim's uh, eZine, his blog that comes out. Very informative, entertaining, and uh, wise. Uh, the Humble and, Humble and Fred Show still available for download at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Uh, we're no longer on Sirius, but you can uh, find us on the Internet and soon on a, uh, another radio station to be uh, named later. Uh, I don't know. Cool. I, uh, That's such an interesting transition for Humble and Fred there. Yeah. Legends of the business. <laughs> uh, as for me, I don't know. I have such a low expectations uh, this weekend. I might actually do well. That's it. The, the, the man with no expectations is never disappointed. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. I appreciate <laughs> it. All the best to you, Mr. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and HumbleAndFredRadio.com. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. In the meantime, 